0: Have you ever heard your TV meteorologist reference reports from storm spotters? Have you ever wondered where those reports were coming from? Would you like to be able to report severe weather that you observe in order to help others and maybe save a life? We're going to answer those questions when we come right back. Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley.
1: Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. We appreciate you taking your time to download and listen to the podcast. We're getting some great feedback, and we really appreciate those of you that are supporting the program. And Krista tell us how some of the easiest ways to do that.
0: Oh there's several ways uh, you can go to buy me a coffee Dot com, I believe, and you can buy us a cup of coffee. It's basically a very kind fundraiser, and we appreciate that. You can also go to our webpage, practicalprepping.info, scroll down to you'll find the Amazon banner, and do your Amazon shopping through our banner. And although you're going to be doing your regular shopping as usual, we do earn a small commission from your Amazon shopping through our banner. So yes, we appreciate you doing that as well.
1: We certainly do, and we thank those of you that have already done that, and we just wanted to make mention of that before we get into our topic today, and that is reporting severe weather. Now, there's a number of ways that you can do that, and we're going to share those ways a little bit later. There's some information that you need to be able to pass on to be able to pass those reports to your local meteorologist or your local National Weather Service. Our sponsor tonight is a book that Krista and I co-authored, and it was our first book together. It's Making Contact During Emergencies, and is information that may save your life during disasters, or if you're lost on a trail, or if you come upon someone who is injured and you need to get help as we rode it, we had one of our son-in-laws in mind.
0: Yes, he's an avid hiker mm-hmm. and would often be hiking on his own. And I believe he used a satellite phone from time to time. But ever since we've gotten to know him better, he has now become a licensed amateur radio operator as well. So he's a fellow ham.
1: And so this is really how you can make contact. And it covers pretty much everything from ham radio to smoke signals.
0: Right. You don't have to have a ham radio or license in order to make contact during emergencies. And our book lays out many different uh, devices that are available and different ways that you can uh, signal and mm-hmm. communicate for help if you need it.
1: And it's just making contact. And there's some interesting stories in there. And we just encourage you, if that's something that you do, then we would encourage you to get that. It is available on our website, and it is also available from Amazon.
0: Absolutely.
1: There are some reasons that the National Weather Service needs the public's reports of weather observations. One of those is the limitations of radar.
0: You know, it's kind of interesting that radar would have limitations Mm -hmm. because you actually – I think I would more depend on radar, but actually radar can only give you certain signals, certain ways.
1: Exactly. And radar is straight line. Mm -hmm. That radar beam is at an angle. It takes nine revolutions, I believe it is, to make a complete radar signal. Oh, okay. Now, it starts at a half degree elevation. A half-degree elevation at the radar site, that's just almost ground level. That's maybe sure. 100 feet off the ground or so. Mm-hmm. But then you go out 40, 50, 60 miles, that is going well above ground level.
0: Yes, because it's at an angle, like exactly.
1: you said. So you get out 40, 50 miles from the radar, and, and I'm pulling these numbers off of memory, and you may be three, four, five thousand 5,000 feet elevation. And that's the lowest angle of the radar.
0: Right. So that would be something you'd need to know when you're reading and understanding radar.
1: Exactly. Now, what's below that? Now, we can easily go in and look at what's above that in the various levels, because that thing comes around at a half degree, then one degree, then one and a half and two. And it builds a pretty good picture above it. But the radar has no way to know what's going on below that.
0: Kind of like where we are, as, as you are ground ground level.
1: Well, yes. Now, our radar is probably 30 miles from us, so it's really not that bad. But if you're using the Columbus radar to look at Birmingham, you're looking at a radar beam that's a couple of thousand feet off the ground.
0: Yeah, and that can give you a very different picture. It, or it of, doesn't
1: give you a complete picture. Exactly. So we need those reports A good way to do that is with trained storm spotters. The National Weather Service depends on that ground truth, and therefore it needs the reports from the field. And a lot of the storm spotters that you may hear reports from are radio operators, ham radio operators, but not all.
0: No, a lot of them are actually weather chasers, storm chasers, storm spotters. And there actually are classes and ways Mm -hmm. to certify being a certified storm spotter.
1: Now, we're not talking about storm chasing tonight, and I will say that we would discourage storm chasing right, unless you really, really know what you're doing.
0: Exactly. That is a very dangerous enterprise
1: and what we're talking about here is storm spotters
0: yeah like someone's in a specific location and they're giving information about what's going on in real time in their location
1: or you're traveling and you observe this Mm -hmm. you can report this to national weather service office in different areas so don't think that you must be a ham radio operator and for that matter, don't think that you must be a trained storm spotter in order to be able to make reports. Most of us know what a tornado looks like.
0: Right. And there's a specific definition of a tornado. Mm-hmm.
1: Some things need to be reported and some don't. But now those things that need to be reported need to be reported in a proper manner. Ah, uh-huh. Like a tornado. Exactly. You know the differ. I know you know the difference between a tornado and a rotating funnel cloud, and that's simply whether or not it's touching the ground.
0: But you know, to the average person who doesn't really know the the nomenclature that mm-hmm. way, if they see a rotating funnel cloud, and the bottom of that funnel cloud is two hundred feet off the ground, they're going to call it a tornado.
1: If it's a thousand feet off the ground, they're going to call it a tornado. Mm-hmm.
0: But technically. It's not a tornado until it has made contact with the earth.
1: Right. And a lot of times when it makes contact, if you've got eyes on that, you'll be able to see the debris coming up.
0: I've seen a lot of tornadoes that are very white Mm -hmm. in appearance as they're coming down, and then they darken. And that's like you're saying, it's now it's starting to pick up debris and solid matter. It's picking up
1: debris, and it's picking up dirt, and those kinds of things cause it to become darker. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the next thing is a rotating wall cloud. And you can go online and look up wall cloud and look at some of the photos. I'm not really sure that there's an adequate way that I can describe a wall cloud other than to say it is a lowering and it's a very obvious lowering of that area of the cloud.
0: It almost, I think it almost looks like a lazy Susan, like a big circular almost a horizontal cloud but you can see the movement and yeah the but rotating on the, movement on the
1: edge of it it will be pretty much straight up and down
0: well that would even more look like a laser, right. susan like a, it has a very a very clear definition of edges exactly yeah. and on
1: the back side of it it just blends in mm-hmm. but on the front side it's very very pronounced now rotation is the key word ah if it's not rotating then it's not a rotating walk,
0: right it's just a cloud it's, it's just, just a cloud yeah
1: now some scud clouds can appear as funnel clouds now what
0: does that mean a scud cloud
1: it's a cloud that just looks like a funnel cloud
0: you know i've seen shape. that. i've seen these little angles you mm-hmm. know just kind of punch down and kind of disappear and put and i guess that's just where some wind has begun to collect and it's not really continuing to form So that's what you call a scud cloud? Or it
1: just may be a particular formation of the cloud, just the shape of the cloud. I see. And it can look like a funnel cloud, but the key is to watch it for a minute and see if it's rotating.
0: Oh, I see. Because I guess a scud cloud can sort of punch down, but not necessarily It's not going to rotate. Yeah. And,
1: and I see them quite often. I mean, if you're really paying attention to the skies, you'll see them from time to time. Okay. And you just have to watch it for four or five seconds to be able to tell if it is rotating ah, or not. And usually it's not. Usually it's just going on about its business like any other cloud.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right so that kind of helps us to know you don't have to you know immediately start panicking when you're looking at clouds and storms now we also want to very much stress that we're not asking any of you to get out into an unsafe situation with the weather if it's hailing or lightning or these kinds of things don't be going outside no
1: but you can see these if if you're looking out the window you might see it if you're driving and it, probably more reports come from people traveling that observe these things.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. What we used to do for storm spotting is we would pre-position ourselves and we had a number of points in the county where we could see large areas and we would get on top of those hills. And what we were looking at was really five to 10 miles away and we were totally safe where we were. And if it was coming our direction, then we would scoot out of there. Oh, okay. So, I mean, the idea is don't be there at the same time a tornado is. Well, of course. You also want to report any damage observed from a tornado. So you want to report that tornado, that rotating funnel cloud, or damage that's observed from that tornado. And that can be damage that's occurring because you're seeing the debris, or it can be damage that has already occurred And the tornado has passed by.
0: I know the National Weather Service will actually send trained observers out after the fact to try to determine Mm -hmm. if indeed it was a tornado or was it straight line winds or what it could be. You know, in our area, a lot of times we don't actually see the tornado because they get rain wrapped. Exactly. Explain what rain wrapped is.
1: Well, there's just so much rain around it that you can't see it.
0: So the tornado can be happening, but it's that wall of rain that is in front of it.
1: Correct. Or or all the way around it. You just never see it. That's one of the problems with observing and chasing in the North Alabama, Southern Tennessee is there's so many hills here, and it would be blocked out even if you could see it. So you don't want to be out there calling yourself chasing and wind up being in the path of another one because they tend to come in multiples not just one Mm
0: -hmm, true
1: now they all form from a severe thunderstorm you'll have a severe thunderstorm and in that thunderstorm you have an updraft and as that air and moisture goes up it decreases in temperature and it gets up to a point where that moisture freezes And it will fall in the form of ice. And if it's a strong enough thunderstorm with an updraft, it does that multiple times. And each time it does that, it grows. And eventually the weight of that piece of hail is what it's now become, is heavier than the updraft is able to support, so it falls to the ground.
0: So that's the reason we get hailstones that are a varying diameters because Correct. depending on how many circulations mm-hmm. they have made they've gone round and round and round some of them circulate a very small amount of time and fall and then i've actually seen people on facebook they've held a hailstone in their hand it looked like a softball exactly i mean it's huge
1: now that <laughs> is a tremendous updraft in there
0: that's a lot of because wind power It's
1: supporting it, it's having to lift that Again. Yes. Again. And so eventually it grows to a point where the updraft will no longer support it, and it falls to the ground. And that's when we want to report it. Now, you can't see what's going on with it until it actually falls to the ground. You can
0: even hear it, too.
1: Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. But there's some terms that we don't use in reporting this.
0: Right. You know, you want to be very specific with your description mm-hmm. of hail or ice stones. And you don't want to say that it's pea-sized or marble-sized. And why wouldn't you want to say that?
1: Well, there's multiple size peas and there's multiple size marbles. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean you know, are we talking English pea? Are we talking a black-eyed, black-eyed pea,
0: pea or uh, cat's peas? eye marble? Or <laughs> so. So we have to use terms that are non-variable. Something exactly. that's, uh, there's something that we know of as an agreeable size.
1: Exactly. So you can use specific measurements if possible. I mean, it's great to be able to say we've got quarter-inch hail, half-inch hail, three-quarters, you know, whatever the size is there if we're making that report. Now, you can use coins, dimes, nickels, quarter, half-dollar. You can use golf balls, you can use tennis balls, you can use softballs. Now, softball, we're talking four and a half inches there.
0: And I will say that I don't believe we've ever had a four and a half inch hailstone ever fall in North Alabama. That's usually a Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri thing.
1: I don't know, but uh, you sure can pick up cars cheap after that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know, and you have to be very careful. If hail is beginning to fall in your area, large or small, And you see that the hail is large enough to be seen. I mean, some people look out their window and it looks like snow Uh on the ground. If you get knocked in the head with one of those stones, you can get badly hurt.
1: Oh, yeah. Now, I've been actually out in something, say a dime size when it started falling and not far from the door and got inside pretty quickly because that stuff hurts when it hits you on the head. And that was just dime size hail. Now, when we're looking at reporting to the National Weather Service, especially if this is in a large outbreak, we've got a lot of long track storms going on. What we want to report is hail that is one inch or quarter sized or larger. One inch hail and above—that's the criteria for severe thunderstorm.
0: Oh, I see. Okay, so if if little tiny chips are falling mm. of ice, that's not that's not necessarily reportable. No,
1: and even if dime size is fall, falling,
0: so quarter sized or larger,
1: quarter size or larger or one inch or larger is how they do that. Okay, and there are some other things that that go into the thunderstorm criteria. We'll cover that when we get to wind. But let's touch on lightning.
0: Lightning is serious. You know, and you don't have to be under a dark sky or hear thunder for lightning to even be an issue. But generally, a lot of times you see lightning and you hear the thunder afterward. And that's generally the cue of when it roars, go indoors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Knowing, too, that lightning does not have to be right over you. In order for it to be a threat to life and property, Mm-mm. you can have lightning strikes that can actually be some distance away and can travel through different means uh, yeah, on and under the earth. Yeah, if you can see
1: it or hear it, you're within range of it.
0: Yeah, if you can see the lightning or hear the thunder, just don't take any chances about that. Don't just, don't just assume that... You know, oh, that's a very, very far away storm. I can tell because the lightning and the thunder were very spaced far apart. Mm -hmm. Time-wise, you can't gauge that.
1: Well, you may can gauge the distance that it is, but that stuff, I mean, it doesn't respect distance.
0: No, it doesn't. And you've got to be very, very clear about getting protected. Here's some unsafe places. If you find yourself, you hear the thunder and you see a lightning. If you're out in a field, a meadow, a pasture, a golf course... Uh, If you're way up on a hilltop or some sort of a ridge, Mm -hmm. or if you're under a lot of very tall trees, especially if there's a very complicated root system and you're all out there.
1: And it's a singular tree is even worse.
0: Yes, because lightning is going to find the shortest path it can to land and it'll land onto the top of that tree, which will travel down the trunk and through the roots. And there have been people that have been struck by lightning because the lightning hit the tree. Mm -hmm. And not them, exactly.
1: Well, my mother, a few years back, before she moved, there were two trees that were about 40 feet from the house. And these two trees were hit. And they were there at the end of the driveway. And those two trees were hit. And it blew out her television. And it blew out the motherboard in her dishwasher.
0: Oh, I didn't even know about that.
1: And that was Lightning strikes that were 40 feet or so from the house.
0: So they just traveled through the root system of the, the ground. Through the
1: ground and what have you. So That's it, took, serious. it took that out. But lightning is going to seek out that tallest thing that it can, usually. And so you don't want to be standing out in that field or golf course because then you're the tallest exactly. thing.
0: Exactly, right.
1: Or standing on a hilltop. Mm-hmm. And the best thing to do is get yourself inside where it's safe. And wait till the storm passes. Now, let's talk about wind for a moment.
0: You know, very, very strong winds, winds in excess of 58 miles per hour. That's a pretty serious wind speed, and that needs to be reported.
1: That's the other criteria on a severe thunderstorm. I see. If you've got one-inch hail or wind 58-plus miles per hour, that needs to be reported Now, it can be measured or estimated. It's great if you can measure that wind speed. We have that on our weather station here at the house. But I also have a little portable anemometer that I can carry and measure wind speed. But you can also estimate the wind speed by visible effects. And one of the things that 58 miles per hour Uh, winds are going to be pushing over trees a lot of times. It's going to be breaking large limbs. And so if you see damage from wind, whether it's trees down or leaning or twisted or topped or roofs blown off, report that. And there's no need to try to determine if it's a tornado or a straight-line wind because, like Krista said a minute ago, the next day there are going to be certified meteorologists that are going out doing assessments and they are going to be determining what it was and the strength of it. Exactly. So don't try to determine what it was, even though I can look at it. I've dealt with enough of them. I can look at it and tell you if it was tornado, straight line wind. But that's not my call the day after.
0: Right. You, if, you, if you're just regular average Joe citizen, you're just basically reporting there's a you know, there's a hundred year old oak down in the road. Uh, there's a roof that's been torn off the garage, you know, something that has indicated that wind has been very strong and has definitely visited the area. And that's all you need to know.
1: Or we have large limbs laying in the roadway. It's mm-hmm. broken off large limbs. All right. Now, here's one that there's absolutely no uh, excuse for dying from this.
0: That would be flooding. Mm-hmm. Now, I do know that a lot of times people are in their cars when the storm begins and perhaps they've got a 40 minute drive home and they feel like, you know, I think I can make it. I think I can make it. You know, we actually have uh, daughters who work in a one city and then they have to drive to another city to go home. And there was one that was actually she was driving before the storm hit. So she did the smart thing and she pulled off to a well populated Strip center store area mm-hmm. where there were a lot of shops and businesses, and she was able to get inside a business. And just at the time, the big strong winds were coming through, and they did find out that there had been some effects of a tornado just a few miles away. Mm-hmm. And so can't really blame her for being caught in it because she didn't decide to go driving in the storm. The storm kind of happened after she was driving.
1: Right. But here we're talking about flooding.
0: Well, that's what I was going to get to as well. well, I thought
1: you were going to go with another daughter that was driving home and she actually drove into an area that was deeper than she should have driven into and Uh-oh. she stalled out.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: And so the the thing here is turn around, don't drown.
0: Right. Don't assume that if the water seems shallow or if you think you can see the bottom of the roadway, if that water's rushing over that roadway mm-hmm. from flooding, it doesn't take much to lift your car right on down into that stream.
1: Now she grew up with this particular area flooding, And I've been around there long enough. I know when it's okay to drive through and when it's not okay. And, I mean, I've waded through that. And if it's ankle-deep in that particular place, I will drive through it. But I think it can get up to, like, knee-deep right there. But the idea, if you don't know, turn around, don't drown.
0: You know, a lot of people have sadly found out that the bridge they thought was there isn't there anymore. The water is covering it, but the pavement has actually buckled and cracked and has actually washed out. Mm -hmm. And you can't see that under the water.
1: No, you can't. Now, what you need to report is flooding that is over roadways and flooding that's up to houses or businesses. And if you can estimate the depth, that's something that's handy for for the meteorologist. And Now, you're not going to wait out there and measure the depth on that, but if it's an area that you're familiar with, a good example is looking at the front porch and front steps of a house. If Mm -hmm. you know that house has five or six steps and there's only one step out of the water, then you know it's about four feet deep right there, three and a half, four feet deep. Right. They're also going to want to know if the water is flowing or
0: standing. Exactly. That's important information.
1: Exactly. And again, talked about roads buckled or bridges out, that needs to be reported as well. Next thing that we're going to be reporting is snow.
0: You know, snow has caught a lot of folks by surprise, Mm -hmm. and particularly in the south, because we are not accustomed to feet of snow. Mm -mm. And yet feet of snow has actually fallen and has definitely impacted Uh, Folks around the south, I mean, it'll it'll shut you down. And so snow is another thing that can come on very quickly and it can become blinding conditions for driving a blizzard conditions. You can have total whiteout. You cannot tell the sky from the road. You've got to be very careful about that. And also to try to measure the depth, you don't really want to measure on the grass because grass and yard and dirt, those are very uneven surfaces. Exactly.
1: You want to measure on a flat, solid surface Now, you mentioned here in the south. You know, we're going to have five inches of snow at times, four or five inches, and the last one, I think, we had zero here at the house, and 20 miles north of us, they had five inches.
0: Yes, we actually traveled that day, and we, the next day we had left the house, and there was not a, 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 any evidence of any mm-hmm. kind of snow or ice at our house. And right, five minutes up the road, we saw covered fields of snow. Yeah, It's just funny how weather, weather's funny, and this was the same county.
1: There are folks that will build a snow measurement board, and basically what they do is they take a flat board, and they have that someplace where they can measure on that board. I've known of folks that actually put a ruler standing up on it, so all they had to do was look at it.
0: Oh, like a yardstick or a ruler? Yeah. Yeah. Now,
1: I have gone out and measured it on the top of a car, and that has to be a car that was not warm when it started snowing. You, You wanted it to to freeze to it and Mm -hmm. so that's a good place and wherever you measure it measure it three or four places there and take an average of that and that's the number that you would report and they do want to know that information not necessarily while it's going on but that helps verify their radar data and such absolutely Now, the last thing we're going to talk about is observed damage. And we've touched on this as we've gone along. But you want to report when you've seen damage to roofs, when you see damage to trees or buildings or road signs. You know, they know the amount of wind it's going to take to buckle one of those big road signs. Mm -hmm. They already know that. Yeah. When you tell them that that big road sign on the interstate is over, they know what that wind was for a minimum.
0: They're also going to want to know if there's any traffic lights mm-hmm. or uh, those types of items that are street lights, maybe that have fallen, a parking lot lights that type of thing and they're especially going to want to know if power lines or poles are down but we want to caution you if you have observed a power line or a power pole that is actually down particularly the wires are down dangling or on the ground do not approach them do not do not approach these poles or these wires they still could be live And that means that they are highly dangerous. Do not allow your children to go outside Mm -hmm. and observe storms or aftermath of storms. There are too many people that have done so, and they've become uh, in terrible, terrible danger.
1: Let me add here, too, that if you happen to be in a vehicle, and this can happen even in a wreck, where a power line comes down and that power line is across your vehicle stay in the vehicle stay in it don't try to get out wait till help gets there they know what to do they know how to handle that but if you're holding you're touching that car and that line is on it and your foot touches the ground you've completed that circle and you've probably had your last meal
0: well also if you come upon someone who has hit a power pole that's mm-hmm. down and you're not a trained professional, don't you go running up to their car.
1: Exactly. Before, you know, it, it's okay to go up to a wreck and assist somebody, but be absolutely sure there are no power lines down on that vehicle. And if they are, then just encourage them to stay inside that vehicle until help gets there. Fire departments are equipped to be able to remove those lines from the vehicle and there's special gloves, there's special equipment to do that with. I, I would just encourage you to encourage everybody to stay in their vehicle if their power line is down. And don't trust anybody to say that the power is out.
0: No, don't.
1: We talk about how we can be involved in reporting weather observations. You mentioned while ago some of the storm spotter classes. If you'll call your National Weather Service, they will put you on that list. There are some online courses. There are some in-person courses at time. And there's StormSpotter Basic, Spotter Advanced. And there's quite a few of those classes available. Call your National Weather Service and ask them. You can check your local National Weather Service website, and that will often have that information on there. There will be a place on most of them that will have, say, storm spotters. Click on that and you'll be able to find some information. Call your local EMA and ask them. They can put you in touch with some of the folks that are going to be teaching these classes and get you up to speed on storm spotting. But when it comes to reporting, each National Weather Service office website's a little bit different, but. There is a telephone number that you can call and in during severe weather it will usually go to an answering machine but those are checked very quickly to pull information off what they don't want is folks calling and saying what's it going to do you know what what's right. it going to do at my house yeah. is it going to be safe to travel is this road open they just don't have the personnel to be able to answer those kinds of questions But those machines do get checked to take those spotter reports off of there, and that goes into their figuring for what's going on and is fed to the meteorologist, the warning coordinator, and ultimately to the local news services that are putting that information out. And some of these also have online reports that you can do. And for the ham radio operators, there's several other options that we can do, and that's usually calling it in to someone who is in direct contact with the National Weather Service. So it's an interesting hobby, very interesting to learn to operate some of the radar. I've mentioned it before on my computer. I have GR Level 3. That's Gibson Ridge.
0: Tell us a little bit about GR Level 3.
1: It's just a It's almost a real time. I mean, it's street level radar. You can download different things to literally get your street on there. Mm -hmm. The image on there during severe weather, since it takes about six minutes for that radar to make a full pass, your radar image usually will be less than six minutes old. And you can look at different tilts on there. But And there's a full function two week free trial. Actually, if you'll search GR Level 3, it'll come up. It's Gibson Ridge, and I think it's the GRLX, GR Level X file that will explain everything. And it's a very, very good program. I use it. I've watched a number of tornadoes with it. Not only here, I mean, more often I've watched them and learned more as they were in another state.
0: Well, can they get this type of online information in other countries other than America?
1: Uh, I don't know what would be available in each of those countries. Now, you could get GR Level 3 if you want to watch Alabama tornadoes from France. I mean, it'd be okay, but...
0: <laughs> Perhaps other countries have a similar... There may be something uh,
1: similar in other countries. And I,
0: because weather reporting... And weather watching has become more sophisticated and much more detailed. And I'll tell you that it's because of these storm spotters that many lives have been saved. Mm -hmm. These meteorologists will get on television and they'll do what's called wall-to-wall coverage. When the weather gets severe enough that it looks like there could be the potential for deadly storm or a very dangerous storm of any kind, thunderstorm or tornado or even a straight line winds, They'll go wall to wall, which means they preempt all other coverage and they're live in their studio and they're getting this information from the National Weather Service who is getting this information from storm spotters all over the area so they can transmit that and get people information quickly so they can take measures to save their lives and their property. And it has made a difference.
1: It has. And as James Spann says respect the polygon. If you're in that polygon, it used to be entire counties warned. Today, it may say the counties warmed, but you look on there and it's a polygon. And if you're in that polygon, respect it. Go to your safe place. Be ready to take action. But we'd like to encourage you to become involved in storm spotting and to become involved in reporting storm issues and Weather data, because the more of us out there that are doing that, the better the National Weather Service can serve because they cannot see below that radar beam.
0: So they they call it eyes on the ground.
1: Need eyes on the ground. We need ground truth. Anything else before we go?
0: Stuff happens. you got to stay weather prepared.
1: And we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Practical Prepping Podcast. You can contact us through email at info at practicalprepping.info, or on Facebook. The link is in the show notes. Until next time, remember, stuff happens, stay prepared.